0: If you were to pluck out the centre of the flax bush, where would the bellbird sing? If you were to ask me what is the most important thing in the world, I would reply that it is people... People, people. Tēnā
1: koutou katoe tahuri mai anai ki tēnei papa o te pōnei runga i te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Ko maraia rakuraku tōku ingoa, whakatata
0: mai, whakapiri mai ki tēnei hotaka a Te Ahika. I'm Justine Murray and you're with Te on Radio New Zealand National, a weekly insight into Te Ao Māori. Soon, experienced journalists Maramina Roderick, John Stokes and Chris Winitana will be joining Mariah in the first part of a panel discussion about the state of Māori journalism. And here's some advice Chris Winitana gave to Maramina when she first started.
2: Raise that flag, girl. (laughs) Go hard. You go right into those those news places from the ground up and work it through. Get your facts right. Be good. Just be good up front. And as you get better, the spaces open up because you make them open up because you've gotten better. And in that space, you're, you, you decide to work through those types of stories that your heart uh, feels like it may want to do today, this month, this week. What's the Māori connection with this?
3: The milky Way's are on me! <laughs>
1: That catchphrase rang through many a childhood and it's going to be doing the same for this generation of kids when we meet the latest mokiba kid, Hene Tāpura short, a Māori girl
0: from Rotorua. It seems the days of lugging books around may be coming to an end as e-books hit their stride. And the latest project
1: launched by the Ministry for Culture and Heritage aims to join the trend.
4: All of the the Māori um, biographies um, have been translated into Māori, and there were there was around five volumes of the Māori ones, hardcover and uh, uh, paperback that that were translated. But I mean, that's quite a hefty tome. So what we've done is we've taken it, and it, it's currently up on the website. But we've bought all of the Māori language biographies together as one single book, as an e-book.
0: Basil Keane, Director of Māori Digital Projects at Ministry for Culture and Heritage. He explains more later on. Throughout the program, we'll have Muaita compliments of the Mount Cook School Kapahaka recorded earlier this week at a Te Wiki o Te Reo Māori event in Wellington.
1: Koera kaupapa korero e ake nei. That's coming up in this edition of Te ahika. Yeah. A reunion was held last week in Rotorua of Māori who have graduated from the Waiariki Journalism course. And the alumni reads like a who's who of Māori journalists. I met up with a couple of them earlier this week to talk through
5: the state of Māori journalism.
2: Hi, this is Chris Winitana from Tuhoi Tūwharetoa.
5: And I'm Madamina Roderick, uh, Ngapu and Te arua, Ngāti ora
6: John Stokes from Raukawa and Manipoto.
5: Oh, well, Kia ora koutou kato, welcome. Kia ora. Uh, ora. Now,
1: I'm in the studio, in the Wellington studio with Chris and Maramena, and John Stokes is joining us by telephone in New Plymouth. Now, what we're doing is we're talking about the state of Māori journalism. And this comes from a kōrero that was recorded in 1987 with students from Waiariki Polytech who were going through a bicultural journalism course, and you were one of those students, Maramena? Yes. And your tutor was Chris Winitana. Gulp.
6: (laughs) I was just leaving high school uh, at that time. Can I just put that
1: out Oh, shit, John. (laughs) Thanks, bro. So uh, what we're going to talk about is, you know, what's changed? What is the status of Māori journalism now compared to back then? There were a couple of statements that were made in that um, kōrero, and uh, Chris, your sister Kali Winitana asked you whether my, whether media covered Māori issues adequately, and you replied, "You replied, no, they don't do it justice. It's like looking through the keyhole in a door, but the door's not even open."
2: That sounded rather clever of me back then. Didn't it? <laughs> So you're asking how it is these days. Yeah. I should own up first and tell everybody that I haven't been doing the journalism thing directly for a long time. In fact, since after Maramena's course, which was back in 87. Mm. Is that 87? Mm. So just be mindful of that. However, once a journalist, always a journalist. And so you keep your eye out on, on those sorts of things. I in In a real sense don 't think don 't really think things have changed dramatically I think it 's fair to say there are more Mali however you need to everybody needs to appreciate that there were so few in the beginning, like there might have been one and now there 's two that 's the relativity we 're talking about as opposed to hundreds and thousands just pouring out of the woodwork um and then on the other side of things, we now do have, for instance, dedicated Māori news services like MTS, um, Mana Māori Media in its time, which used to service the Rewirirangi, the 21 the Māngai Pāho Rewirirangi. Those didn't used to be around back in eighty, eighty-seven, at the time of this uh, interview that we're referring to. So in a nutshell, I don't think things have materially changed. You might still find a few brown-faced Clark Kent's in the daily news uh, mainstream. Or uh, Lois's. Or Lois's, forgive me. <laughs> forgive me, Lois. <laughs> but appreciate that they will still be facing exactly the same issues that were faced by myself in my time, Madamina in her time. You're one or two at the low... Uh, one or two Māori in a news organisation... Low down in the scale, in the hierarchy, uh, chief reporters still make the decisions over what is newsworthy and that, ev- and that newsworthiness and his comprehension, her comprehension of that still comes through the, the nature of that particular news organisation. And I'm afraid bad news is still good news and bad mildy news is even better news.
5: I'm just going to pick up what well uh, something that Chris touched on, in, in terms of, I think there are more Māori out there, but it's those key positions where then they're, they're they're getting so far, and then they're either moving on or dropping out.
1: So these are the like the, positions the chief in the hierarchy, right? Yeah. So you'd be familiar with that, wouldn't you, John?
6: Uh, I am. I, I think um I think there's been um significant improvement um in terms of being able to access a range of Māori stories, admittedly not necessarily through mainstream. Um, Of course now we do have MTS, uh, Te Kare there, it provides a a more compelling product. Um, The Herald does have, you know, some of the major papers do have um, dedicated Māori reporters. (laughs) Ironically, actually, I think um, demand is what, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a chicken and egg thing, but I think it's demand that Pulls good uh, Maori journalists out of media into the the, the uh, comms and, and um, defending role. Um, or, or I think there's just a number of, of, of opportunities for Maori journalists that that are particularly good um, that that probably stops them from going through that that uh, mainstream uh, grind. Which you know, chief reporter is a tough job. You know, I think most um, the, the, my, my two colleagues would probably understand so uh, you know there's some compelling opportunities out there as well.
1: But then doesn't an organisation also have responsibility to create pathways that are going to um, encourage Māori wanting to reach those
5: tiers? You know know, I I think it starts at an individual level if you want it if that's where you want to go you will make it there rather than expecting uh, some editor at the Herald to make it a bit easier for me because I'm Māori. That does not give me a God-given right to be a great chief reporter or a producer. So those who want to get there will get there. Um, But I do think there's a tendency among us to have that still a wee wee bit in that victim mode that we, we need a handout. And we we've got, we've just gone beyond that now, you know, we were talking earlier, Chris and I, and looking back at the the old copy of the interviews way back when, and it really hasn't changed that that much in terms of what Maori is saying that, I think there's been huge changes within the media itself, just by the amount of Maori um, services that are out there, but it's um, among ourselves, <coughs> there's still that dear I'm oh I'm going to get slapped," that winch factor. Um, and and you know, get as Chris said, get the you know you have got to learn the basics in journalism. Get your facts right. We we tend to um, hide behind an emotional cope um, up sometimes. We don't ask the hard questions.
6: Yeah, no, it's a good point, Maramina.
2: And Maramina has <laughs> always been hard bitten. She hasn't changed I one <laughs> iota. I can tell you that when on in our time together. I used to call her this. I don't know if I actually said this to her, but in my mind, here comes the moa as an MOA because she would tread where all angels feared to tread. <laughs> she would go. I hear what she's saying, and it's quite true. I just wanted there's, there's this other part of this. Th- there are two issues. There are now dedicated Maori news services through the likes of MTS. TVNZ has had its bit around for quite a while. Te karere, wakuhua, malai, uh, and other things over the years. Uh, Mana Mag, Mana Māori Media through through the Radio Network, Wātea Now and others. So there's that side of the coin, Māori working within our own news establishments and organisations. Now that's that side, just to be clear on that. And then on the other side, there's mainstream. Uh, And there are are two different animals with two different types of uh, ways and operations. So... On the flash sort of banner waving end, you want to be talking about mainstream. What images, what views, what portrayals are being put down in mainstream to do with you and I? Are our stories being told? Are they being told in a way uh, that is helpful to greater New Zealand and the idea of nationhood? Now this is getting pretty flash up at the but it's still all true. I'm only re- reiterating it here because it was part of the sell back in the early 80s to the <laughs> likes of Madamini. You know, raise that flag, girl. Go hard. You go right into those news, those news places from the ground up and work it through. Get your facts right. Be good. Just be good up front. And as you get better, the spaces open up because you make them open up because you've gotten better. And in that space, you're, you you decide to work through those types of stories that your heart. Uh, feels like it may want to do today, this month, this week. So just being clear, there's two issues. There's the mildy end of it, and how we ourselves deal with ourselves within that. Are we simply regurgitating park our news? Are we simply just mm. watching the news the night before or the radio story that da da, da and then just turning around into the reel? And because it's in the reel, it's it's hidden from view to a certain degree from the majority of people who don't understand the reel. Oh, is that is that us? So there's that side of the ball game and then on the other side is, uh, you know, main mainstream media. Are we seeing ourselves reflected in that media? Or, you know, when they call out a rapist part Māori? I don't know if they still do that. Yes, they do. They still do that. Eh? A rapist is always part Māori, which means, what's his other part? No, that's
6: Polynesian or Māori. Yes. Yeah, yeah,
2: well, that's I'm right. Not, yeah, not you. That's right. You know, are we still being portrayed that way? And because the common, everyday Joe, Blow, or Jill reader—that's the only, they only—they don't have a connection to the Māori world and its spaces uh, per se—that the media becomes television, radio, and in print become the only avenues that they have in by which they can get a window view of this other culture. Oh. So I'm sure you know you, you see the polls and people go you. People are, people are asked different questions on the street and they give some real weird-ass answers to these Māori things. Oh, Māoris are money-grabbing and we beat them and they should just sort of lie down and die? Sorry, i will find my little safe box. There I will it step goes. down now. Not minute. it's all yours. <laughs> <laughs> I,
5: I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, uh, you know, what is a, a, a great, a great Māori journalist? And it comes back to someone who gets their facts right, someone who's straight up and up front. Now, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a journalist, but I'm also Māori. I'm always going to be Māori. Journalist, journalism, broadcasting is just my trade. But it's like, if, if I want to have a great reporter, I'm going to go to the best reporter on the day to tell my story. I don't care what colour you are. Same way as that if I had a, um, you know, I, I needed major surgery. I'm not going to go to someone just because of the, who, the ethnicity. You know what I mean? I want the best person on the job, so that's where I came from. Is that I wanted to take it on and and go up against everyone and you know give it death kind Make of thing. Make your in a patch, you know, row that walker, and um, have some fun doing it. And I think Chris was the one for me. He was a tunny fella, now, of course I tell you, I wow. tell you. And um, he was the one who actually pushed me to go down the print track. Because in, in the good old days, before you went into television, you had to go through the print, you had to go through radio, because you learnt. You got that skill base, you got that experience base. And as, as you went up the ladder, the doors open and you had more of a say. So that's what I was always heading for. That's where I wanted to go, because I wanted to have that, um, more of that control over what was going out there. so you, had that, um, you there. had
1: that ambition.
5: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But I didn't depend on, on anyone. I didn't ask for any favours. You know, I, if, if, if I was up against some of the best in the world at times, it, I changed it around. So, right, like, bring it on. Let's see. <laughs> you know, as opposed to hide and, oh, you know, no, 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 no. The harder it gets, the, you know, the more fun it is.
1: But it still doesn't take away some of the issues that Māori can face in the journalism world, eh? Because there are big barriers, that are there.
5: I don't know. I, I think a, a lot of that is as <laughs> we make that up in our minds a wee bit. Uh, I, I I hear and I see for ones going into like um, the Pakeha mainstream that it, you know there's no Maori around and all the rest, you know, in the newsroom and there. Well, pick up the phone and ring Mum. Yeah. I don't need to be in a room full of Maori to feel that I am Maori. You know, I'm quite happy to be in a in a room of French or whoever because I know who I am, and um, and, and I, I actually like being being a you know it gives, it gives me an edge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I use it as a as as my armor as opposed you know it, it's 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 not a bad thing being the only Māori in the in the newsroom, but I, I also I think there um oftentimes I hear oh we're getting picked on you know our stories you're not getting picked on. You've been told how to do it properly, you know. So suck it up and suck all the knowledge up.
6: That's now, what I love.
5: Has it been your experience, John?
6: Um, uh, yeah, it has been. Yep. No, when I went to um uh, both the uh, Waikato Times and the Herald, there were um there were were a few uh, mighty faces. The um, the same challenges as other people had in their rounds um, uh, applied in terms of um, threshold for what warranted a story, um, you know there's parts of being a journalist that are actually distasteful, De- uh, death knocks, you know I, 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 mm. that, that's a horrible thing to have to do and um,
1: explain what that is:
6: oh, it's, it's having to go and visit a, a whānau that's or, or individual that's um, um, experienced a, a, a high-profile death. Which is, is not a not a very um, enjoyable thing um, to do. Uh, full stop. And uh, that's something that all journos have to do, unfortunately. And um, you know, it, it isn't um, uh, necessarily a, a, a cultural thing that makes that more distasteful or um, or anything. So, uh, part of being a journalist is is having to do uh, things that you don't necessarily like doing. I guess one of the things from what we're talking about too is, is, is understanding um, what it is that is, that is news. Are, are we talking about... And it's a, it's a, a subject that comes up um, just... And it always came up when I was a journalist was we don't see enough good news stories. And I, I find the concept fascinating because um, probably universally most people are not necessarily attracted to good news stories. We We, we, we seem to, by nature, be attracted to the more salacious or titillating type of things, and I think probably the internet's um, uh, accelerating that. And um, that, that's a, that's a, a, a quite an interesting thing to ponder in a cultural context. Is uh, you know uh, sometimes we say, oh, you know, we couldn't get this story up because they, they're not interested in those type of stories. When in fact, uh, if you look through um, on the front page of the average newspaper, the the nature of of the coverage is 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 more of around uh, around uh, controversies. one thing I noticed when I was a journalist was that editors uh, if anything they you know there was a perception when i when i started when i when I was a non Juno that they had this Maori agenda you know they loved bagging Maori and telling these terrible stories. but when I got to meet them, actually, what they were very good at was was picking what their readers liked to read. Uh, you know, same with television. You know, the, the, it's no coincidence that one and three tend to follow the same range of stories, you know, in in their leads and, and through. And it's not that they've sat down and colluded. It's that they have an understanding of what people like to read. <clears throat> and there's a couple of things in that. One is that a lot of people like reading things that reinforce perceptions about Māori. And unfortunately, we've got individuals who love feeding that perception about Māori. Um, their uh, cynicism, but
2: I think what John's saying is true um, and that 's like the scene face i don 't think there would be any chief reporter news editor or editor who would have who would make this crazy decision and, and articulate it in a newsroom and in and amongst his news organization from today we will tell bad maori stories that's just it doesn't, doesn't work that way it's far more sublime than that. It's the institutional thing.
1: But it's also a cultural thing too?
2: Maybe it is. Maybe that's because we don't meet each other enough mm. and have a perception, a positive perception of each other. Now, all I'm saying is that uh, I don't think you get an individual, chief reporter or otherwise, making some crazy decision about here's, here's what a good Māori story is, and a good Māori story is a bad story. And the reverse... It's far more sublime than that. You want to give your readers what they want. Māoris don't read, you know, da-ding, that's a perception. (laughs) Māoris don't read, that's the perception out there, and who created it? Who created it?
6: Some of those negative stories, so if we talk about, say, uh, critiquing, um, you know, perhaps um, some governance issues within an organisation – Māori will 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 read that information as ravenously as everyone else, and they'll they'll be informed by that information. So it's not it's not always about denigrating. You know, a lot of that that process, as I say, Marama touched on it. You know, it's hard work having to dig down and get all the information, and you know, context and and accuracy is is the crucial part, and and telling it in a way that it's not. Um, Oh, another example. You know, it's, it's it's someone who can detail that there's the complexities as to why this is the case. You know, and and it informs those people. You know, there's an there's, there's on the same token that there's um a hunger to read this type of information from people who can go just look at those Maoris doing the same old stuff. It's also a really important part of informing a, a, a relatively disparate Maori population. You know, so there are some really uh, important parts of of um that, that media service and whilst we may all cringe about some of the coverage, actually it's it's really important, you know, and it does drive change. One one thing I've noticed is that groups that have the blowtorch put on them, eventually they change, you know, and that, that's a that's a really important thing. And and if we compare it to our political environment, politicians the the nature of, of politics basically is that in, in almost every instance they will be uh, Attempts, but media basically are there to bring them down and to keep them accountable, and it works effectively it, in terms of keeping people um, on the straight and narrow. And, and, and politicians, I imagine, and rightly so, probably have, have justification to bemoan the fact that it's very hard for them to get any any coverage that is of a, of a more positive nature. Uh, Shane Jones, you know, as a, a classic, I you know, I think most people who who have very little knowledge of Shane will we'll know the, the 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 halcyon point and his his media coverage over the last couple of years as as an example
5: what he brought up there John is is we need to keep our people accountable now is that bad news because we're asking them the tough questions i don't think so
6: no i, I think it's fantastic and you know, i you know i've seen some of that um, unfortunately the the problem is it becomes you know it becomes a a bit superficial in focusing on um, whatever the, the key point is at the time.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's a, the mildy thing is like the, like the iceberg, the story that's seen that makes the papers, the radio and the television is the tip of it. Yep. And unless we ourselves make the decision to buoy up that iceberg to show the, the 99% that's not seen, then the context is not seen. And so the tip of the iceberg is always going to be the next story. Uh, Isn't there an onus on us to do the best that we can to be helpful, to be able to give a greater context? For instance, the one that just hits you right in the eyes is all the Maori claims. (laughs) Uh, All you ever see in the newspaper is... Maoris and more money and grabbing and land grabbing and money grabbing, sorry, and the fighting in between, which are all the facts on the day of a particular event, an incident or personality clash which happened. I'm not going to name any particular tribe. Um, it happens all the time. We don't seem to be able to get past that tip of the iceberg scenario where the events of the day, which are coming at you at a rate of knots, there's only one of you in the newsroom, uh, mildly who's interested in the stuff, or is, it's your round. It is your job to go and get those stories. You have no choice but to keep ahead of those events and keep writing about them. And that's all fair game. That's all just straight up and down. There's no issues of should we account for them or should we not account for them. Of course we should. But there is also the responsibility to be added in there to give, keep giving the readership, whether they believe they need it or not, to give the readership continual greater context that allow them to assimilate the information that's coming to them through the events and the personalities on the day, in a way that gives them the goods to be able to make informed decisions that break open the stereotypes of who of of, of what goes around these days, the claims one is the classic. I have yet to actually see a story that explains the claim of this particular tribe. All we ever see is uh two hundred and fifty million on the table. here's all the infighting. Here's what the claim is. Here's what the Pākehā ancestors did. This is what they did. It is proven. It is cased. It is reported, and nobody knows about it. Why is that?
6: There is um there is work required around that, and I actually do some of that as part of my job. And that is actually to understand that the the poor um. Um, individual journal who's been sent down to cover this particular ceremony is probably coming with very little knowledge, um, certainly of history. Many times the group that's even signing, so um, it's a really important part is to is to compress in a in a relatively succinct way, bearing in mind that journalists and on print, for example, have 400 words maybe to tell a story. Um, anything you know, maybe up to 2,000 if you if you've if, if you're lucky, but um, so, you you know, part of the challenges for groups going through that process for the government as well is to provide succinct information that provides that context and background so that they can do their job based on what are, are fairly tight deadlines generally, you know, so if you have an 11 o'clock ceremony, uh, they've got until uh, maybe four, five, six o'clock um, to, to get their story done.
5: Can I just add in about Māori, just looking at this and just reminding me of, you know, when you get sent out on a story at the last minute, that's not a Māori thing either.
6: No, no, you know, i know. Hey, that's not.
5: Something things land on your desk and you're thinking, what the heck, how am I going to get this this out? Well, going back into Māori journalists, and uh, I'll talk specifically to mainstream, i.e. the Pākehā media, I think there's a real danger too many times as they... Uh, the answer to all things Mori. Yeah. With in their newsroom. Yeah, yeah, that's
6: right. Yeah. And,
5: yeah. and and to some extent they they take that on. You know, they actually take it on. Yes, I am the the, the, the knowledge base in this in this newsroom where really they They're should be not. saying, You're not I'm not going to tell you that no. but I'll tell you who you can go that's to That's right.
1: And I think that's when you can have journalists getting becoming uh Māori journal- journalists becoming very dangerous. Because then they can get an inflated sense of, well, I am the man. You know, yes. I am the person that you come to to ask about anything Māori.
2: You know, it sounds like a really dumb question. When we say Māori journalists, what are we talking about? Who is that?
1: We leave the discussion there. Next week we rejoin Chris, Maramena and John with that question, what is a Māori journalist? And Justine will report back on the Waiariki Journalism Reunion. Now at our website you can re-listen to previous programmes including the initial archival recording from 1987. It's available at radio.nz.co.nz forward slash
0: One of the criticisms of Te Reo Māori Immersion Schools is that speaking Te Reo Māori all day is all very well, but is ineffectual if there isn't any real spoken at home with the adults.
3: The milky bars are on me! Kea hoing That's
1: Hine Tapura Short. She's nine, trilingual, she speaks Māori English and Spanish, and just what Nestle Chocolate were looking for when they opened auditions for the Milky Bar Kid. We're about to hear how her
7: parents are strengthening their resolve to become multilingual. Uh, Kura, ora, uh, ko Nunga taha te maunga, ko Rotorua Nui Aakahau Matamomoe te roto, ko Pare te Hoata te Kohia te Marae, ko Tuna Hopu te Tupuna fare ko Ngati Whakaui te Iwi, ko Nicola Douglas, tōku ingoa.
8: Uh, ko Whetumasa Rau te maunga, ko Aua Tire te Aua. Ko Hine Rupi, ko oati toku oh, marai, or kumarai, anu uh, amoi, ko tefanu wa tufaka iriora te, iri te hapu, ko hori te waka, ko natipurai te iwi. Kyo da.
0: And then we're going to pass it on to Hine Kyo da, Hinitapura. Hine da. We kori rui 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 Ko hikirangi
3: te mana ko Manga te awa, ko mga hania te marae ko hine Tāpura te faresupuna ko te fanawa hine te hapu ko nga tapu te iwi ko hine
0: tapu te now you were saying that there's three hine tapu in your family, and who was that?
3: Um, my mum's is one of them, and
0: and mum's first cousin. So you're the third Hine in the family. Yeah. Karpwai. So we're gonna start with um now Hine is of course the uh the Milky Bar kid and this, this is this is the reason why I met uh, their father here in Rotorua. We're gonna start with the parents first. Um so Nikki, um, tell us a bit about where you were Pake. Uh, how were you were raised, brought up, what led you here to Rotorua?
7: Sure, um, so I was born and raised in Palmerston North, I oh. uh, went to school there, my parents moved there in 1975 and so I was uh, born there, they moved away and then I was um, brought up there, went to school there, went to university there for a couple of years and then um, I met Eric and we went to Auckland for a little while. Um, didn't really like it there very much. Um, took our oldest son Caleb. How come he didn't two. like it? I Was busy, too fast. many people, too yeah. fast. Didn't get to spend too much to time to the Palmerston
0: North way of yeah. way of life, maybe.
7: Yeah, and our son Caleb didn't really get to spend much time with him. You know, he was just a little fellow, and he was in call from eight till five every day. So, didn't really like it that much. So we ended up moving back to Te oh. on the east coast, which is where um, Eric Spano is from. And we, I also had fun over there. My auntie was living there at the time. And so Te is
0: where? Exactly? Oh, on the east
7: cape, east coast of the North Island. So beautiful, beautiful place. Really enjoyed it. Lived there for four years. Worked at Radio Ngasi Pro in and Ruatoria. It was fun. And what show did you do? <laughs> I did Te um, Wa, which is kind of a
0: um, news of the day yeah. your community news of the yeah. day. Yeah. So it was a
7: two-hour show, and I was also the program manager, so just making sure that oh. all. Programs went to air and oh, it was it was fantastic. We had a really good time. It was a little bit stressful. Do you have a team. media
0: background, Nikki? Not really. I'm oh, <laughs> I just fall into these
9: things. I kind <laughs> nice of,
7: uh, fell into it. Yeah, and, uh, I really enjoyed it. <coughs> small team, plenty of work, and fantastic community. I really loved the coast. And um, while we were there, we got married, had manahi and. Uh, and then we moved to Rotorua, and I guess that was, again, Caleb um, wanted to bring him to the, back to the town um, so he could have a broader experiences. We were both looking for a bit of a change, and um, obviously um, my whanau were from Rotorua. Um, I had plenty of whanau here. My grandmother's living here, mm. so we decided to move to Rotorua. And then Henetapora arrived <laughs> a year later. Uh,
8: I was born in Papakura. Um, lived there till... I was 15. Um, at that time, my mother's mother wasn't very well, so we decided as a whanau to move back to Te Aruru, Um to spend whatever time we could with my grandmother before she passed away. So um, mm. luckily we managed to spend a couple of years with her before she did pass on. But um, So, yeah, moved from Papakura, sort of biggest South Auckland town, to a small coastal town Yeah, what a culture shock Bit of a culture, culture shock yeah. But um, yeah, it was a bit of an experience um, Probably couldn't really wait to get away from the place um, Moved away to to Gisborne for high school for 6th and 7th form Moved back to Te Araroa, um Where I started working with my father as a mechanic Just to get some grounding to, before I went away to Polytech to do my, my training um, Once I was back in Auckland, I couldn't wait to get back to the coast So... Um, I guess that was a, another culture shock, moved back to Te Araroa, um lived there, worked with my father again for another year or so before I met Nicola, Nikki, and um, yeah, needed to go back to Auckland for, for Polytech again, so we, Nicola and I and Caleb moved to, to Auckland where we lived for two and, half, yeah, two and a half, three years, I guess, and then decided to move back to the coast again. Um, so we lived in Charador for another four years. Yeah, four years. Um, and then here we are at Wow! ten years later, parents of the Milky Bar Kid. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not only are Nikki and Eric proud parents of Heneta Pura Short, a.k.a. the Milky Bar Kid, but they have begun their own aspirations of learning te reo Māori, and it's become a real whānau affair. Yeah. Now, once a week, you were talking about Te Reo Hōkoi. Mm. Um, is it with uh, Ngāti Whakaui? Yeah. Tell us about that and how it works within your whānau unit.
7: So my understanding is that uh, this programme was established um, through um, Ngāti Whakaui Taumata, which have an education strategy for Ngāti Whakaui, and one of the programmes they put in place is this Te Reo Hōkoi. So I got a phone call from one of our whānaunga, Kingi e. Biddle, and he said to me, Oh, Kazi, are you interested oh, yes. in... Yeah, he Kingy. said, oh, are you interested in doing this programme? And I was like... And obviously we've been in some kind of formal or informal dual training for the last 10 years with our kids being in te but, you know, it's been a bit intermittent and we probably haven't done as well as we might have, given our children speak te ril.
9: <laughs>
7: and so we kind of jumped at the chance. And the difference, I think, is that it's in the home. So our um, tutor, Nehita, she comes to our house once a week, just for an hour, but she works with us individually... And gives us what we need, and then gives sets us some homework, I guess, and things to practice. And it's quite structured. And whenever she's here, as much as possible, we just speak Tateru, so that you know you're getting that practice. Um, and we've tried to set up things for ourselves, like having different whānau around who are Tateru speakers, nice. so we can practice. And just getting the kids to engage with Eric and I in Tateru, because obviously in the home they prefer to
0: speak English, and that's because of us. Mm. Not them Because <clears throat> the kids would come back from Kura Presumably speaking Māori mm. But yep. when they speak
7: to us It's English mm. because they're like Oh mum doesn't understand So yeah it's been really fantastic And it's it's been really Really fun I think And just I feel like we use a lot more Te in the home um, And it's great to be able to encourage The kids because you know they're at Kura Every day speaking Te reo, and then they come home And yeah just doesn't feel quite right, so getting that all together would be good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, Eric, what about your journey of learning te rio? How have you managed it?
8: I guess growing up in Papakura, um, there wasn't any at the time when I was going through school. Um, did Māori at third and fourth form at high school, but I think the only thing I learnt in the two years was the Lord's Prayer. Right. Um, it was as, as far as it went. Um, so when I moved to Te all Again, the culture shock was learning to, just the basics, like pronouncing words, how they should be. You know, I grew up in Papakura, and I went to Manukau, and Aotea Ooh. Square. How, how terrible <laughs> was that? And then in my... And um, being in Te all. I think my first week at school, I was sitting in an economics class, and um, they were talking about the old gum diggers back in the day, and there was a picture of a kauri tree, and here I am, a city boy, reading out of the book, kauri. And everyone just cracked up laughing.
9: What's a cowrie
8: on? Oh, I don't know. But, you know just, so from then I sort of, I guess, recognised Māori, myself more as being Māori and having a bit more respect for the language, I guess, and, and giving it the respect that it deserves. So um, that was sort of an eye-opener. Um, probably going through high school in Gisborne, I probably um, I don't know, didn't take it on as much as I probably should have or could have. Um but since I met Nikki and having since Kayla was in Cool Hunger and it's just yeah, now with my kids being involved, going through Cool Hunger and, and the and the Kuta, why, well, I'd say more respectful for the the reo. Um I'm proud that my kids can speak Māori. Um wish I could. I'm the, probably the only the one holding up the Fano with um with our, our elders speaking at home. But um, yeah. Oh, cool, I love it. Um having my kids growing up being able to speak te reo has not mean so, yeah.
0: Ka pai, kia ora, kia ora Eric. Right, hene tapora, speaking of things te reo Māori, what are the cool things about the kura kaupapa Māori or te kautu?
9: Um.
0: You can answer in Māori if you want to. I will. ma, um, ma
3: mea. mahanga mea. Kaore ka mōhio, he mahanga pai.
0: He mahanga pai pai que te crai te tezinha
3: hipote cafe hack ok ah um, teve a baniora kako yakoi tirou te, um,
0: te kite yok wa hmm mahita ai oh kawaito mahita
8: fire
0: white tangi fire white so Hini Tapura, mehirita wikitario parke, Pākehā. Pai Hi. So Hinitapura, you are the Milky Park head. Yes. <laughs> who was it your mummy that want, that found out about auditioning or, or who started the who started that? How did you find out about it?
3: Oh my auntie, her name is Auntie Zaleen. Um she rang our our house, um, to see if I wanted to um Sign up to audition. When we did the audition, um, my mum. When we were finished it, when we were finished it, my mum and dad put it on YouTube. They direct picked sixty kids to to uh, do another audition in
0: Auckland and. Who did the YouTube video? Who put that on YouTube? Was it Mum? Dad. Dad. Yes. So tell me about that YouTube video before. So um, were you just here in the Fuddy and you did Mum go and buy you a cowboy hat? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I think we already had one and we did one inside and outside.
7: Cool. And it was funny because Eric's mum was here. I think it was school holidays. And Eric's mum was here and we were all going off to work and so she was helping Henny's helper to practice you know, during the day and then we would come home in the evening and film her. I don't know how many times we did it. <laughs> how many times do you think we did it?
3: Probably
0: a um, hundred. Yeah, it was oh, hundred Probably. Eight. So the YouTube video, just for, just for people who don't understand the process. so the YouTube video goes up, the director picks that plus 59 others, so yeah. 60 YouTube or audition tapes or yeah. Yeah, that. (laughs) And and then what happened,
3: Henitāpura? Well, then again, they picked ten kids. Me and Dad went to Auckland for the audition. And, um, yeah, yeah, there was a green screen behind me.
0: (laughs) Now, what were you you dressed up in all your sheriff's badge and your... Yep. So in front of us, um, Nikki's just put a scrapbook on the table just to jog Henitāpura's memory. So she's going to read out some of her script book that mum's collected over there.
3: The announcement about me being in the top ten was to be made on Friday, 23rd October, at 10am. And good morning, my mum organised... me and my mum organised some of my friends to come over and um, watch me. Um... But before we were um, doing that, we were making a little bit of food for us to eat while we're watching and <laughs> waiting.
7: Yeah, so they rang us. They were going to announce the winner on the... Oh, I can't remember what it was. It might have been. It was in, Oh, about the 17th of November. And they rang us on the Sunday night before... They were going to make the announcement on the Friday. Right. So they rang Eric and I here at home right. and told us that she had won and we were just beside ourselves. We didn't tell her. Oh, I
9: okay.
5: can't. We didn't, so we didn't tell did anyone. We knew for a whole week. We
7: knew for a whole week. In the night before we were going to Wellington because the winner had to appear on Good Morning right. and they made
0: a, a live announcement on Good Morning. Did you have to say that famous line? Yes I did. Can you say it for me now, Tāpura? Sure.
3: <laughs> the milky bars are on me
0: <laughs> Nice, I'll just get you to do that in Māori if you want to.
3: Okay. Oh Kayahoing a Tsiakeritima.
0: Kapoi.
3: And I do know how to s- no. <laughs> and I do know how to say it in Spanish too. Oh, Kayakui.
0: de leche. So, so Nikki, how do you feel about the attention that has been somewhat bombarded within your whānau and, and put over the last what nine months? Mm. It's been. Um, how have you and Eric cope with it? It's been it's been really fun for her, and
7: we kind of just watch her engage her energy levels and see where she's at. Um, so, Nestle required her to do some stuff, which was a photo shoot for New Idea an appearance on Good Morning. Um, on the day of the announcement, she did some media stuff on the actual day. And the other thing that they asked you to do was appear on What Now when the ad was actually released. Cool. And then the other part was obviously making the ad itself. Yeah. So those are the requirements, I guess, of, of her um, being the Milky Bar kid. All the other stuff, all the other media stuff that we've done has been at our discretion. Yeah, of so course. most of it we've, um, m- most of the opportunities that she's been offered, we've taken for her, and I guess that's just um, for her her ambitions around, yep, yeah, mm. wanting to continue this as a as a career, I guess, and just keeping her out there.
0: Does she have aspirations to be in showbiz? Hineta tāpura? you want to be an actor? When you grow up acting? Of course I do, of course. <laughs> <laughs> when you get your Oscar, your Academy Award, you'll be saying, I want to thank my mum, my dad.
3: I want to be a lot of things, actually.
0: What do you want to be? Name some of them.
3: A vet, a journalist. <gasps> journalist. You know, an actor. A modeler, uh, a designer, and a singer, and a guitar player.
0: Kia kaha kōtiro, he ne short no Ngāti Porau, Ngāti Whakauwe, Rarotongan with her parents, Nikki Douglas and Eric Short. There are links and photos at our webpage at radio.nz.co.nz forward slash te ahi kā. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Maraia Rakaraku, and this
1: is Te Ahi Kā. Natives is a phrase I'd never heard of until a few days ago. It's used to describe a generation that are both metaphorically and physically plugged into the internet and everything technology has
0: to offer. And for net natives, the book is quickly becoming an electronic rather than a paper artefact. It's the portability of e-books that convinced Director Māori Digital Services, Basil Keane, of the Ministry for Culture and Heritage, that shifting Te Taumata into that format would be a win-win. He outlines the plan to Maria.
4: Um, kia ora, uh, ko Basil Keane taku ingoa, uh, no Kahungunu, no Rangitāne. Uh, no ngāpua i hoki. Um, uh, kai te mahi au ki Manatū Taonga, uh, Ministry of Culture and Heritage, uh, ko tāku mahi reira, uh, tētahi uh, kaupapa, ko te uh, editor, uh, Moteara, Tākupira of New Zealand, uh, ngari ko, ko tāku tūranga i tēnei wā, uh, Director Māori Digital Projects, uh, ko te kaupapa o tērā, uh, ko te whakahauri ngā kaupapa uh, Māori,
1: so, Director Māori Digital Projects. That sounds really flash. Can you explain what that
4: is? Um, the the idea behind that. Um, previously, I was Māori theme editor um, for Te Ara, um, working on the Māori content of Te Ara, the Encyclopedia of New Zealand, and um, it was kind of seen that we have a number of other. Uh, websites that we manage, um, including uh, NZ History Net, the 28 Māori Battalion site, um, and also the the MCH site, and the idea that um, perhaps some of the um, uh, uh, Māori content um, is is important across all of our websites so that I'd get an overview of that and then really just try and make sure that we make the the best of our, our resources that we have because we actually have significant Maori content um, ac- across the the sites. So um, all all of our mainly Maori content gets translated into Maori. Tamaho McGarvie does the translation, and um, Rangi McGarvie proofs and and, and and checks that. So you have a very consistent um, uh, real uh, tone. There. yeah, in tone, which is you know, which is very important, mm. um, which I, you know. Is, for, for those students looking at at the REL on the website, um, they know it 's good quality um, from um, you know speakers who are raised in the Reo, Um but it also has yeah a, a a voice you know a sort of consistent voice um, which is quite good we We also have the NZ History site which has um, a couple of very popular um, uh, Reo, um Areas in there. There's the Maori um, Language Week, a uh, history of the Maori Language Week on NZ History, which is, um, if you do a search for uh, Maori Language Week, it's one of the most popular. In um, fact, um, just recently, they uh, a couple of days ago, they got the most hits mm-hmm. for NZ History, um, you know, on a, on a page, and that was uh, that Maori Language Week. And, and also very popular is the um, 100 Maori words every New Zealander should yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and so it's interesting that that's developed out of some work that they did on um, uh, Māori Language Week, um, but it shows that you know across across the ministry we have um, you know we have very strong Māori content uh, in English and, and in Māori, and the 28 Māori Battalion site is a great example of that. And in fact, it's it's a really great example of not just how um, you can have good content, but also we're we're getting, um, for instance, um, you know, descendants. Yeah, of there's the quite soldiers. a lot of
1: engagement with uh, yeah, get... um, with the with the community with that project, isn't it? It's not just a passive thing; people are engaging with it.
4: Oh, absolutely, and and you know, one of the most sort of touching things that you know I found going on there is when you look at so for each soldier. Um, they have a page, and uh, you see some of the descendants going on and doing mm. um, you know, in Māori to their to their tipuna, um or kuraua, um and and some of it's re- you know actually really touching. And and one of the things that probably isn't obvious to the people who are doing it at the moment, or, or necessarily even to us, is the fact that that becomes part of the story. That, that um you know in, in a couple of generations time, time you know in a few generations, some of the people that will be going on will be going on not to look at the yeah. soldiers themselves but to be looking at you know what their what their koro or what their nan wrote in in the comments and um and if you want to look at an example of that it's it's the Lindauer online um, art exhibition yeah if, if you go on their website what they've done is they've digitized the um the visitors book that was that was done around the turn of the century uh, in the 1900s, and you know you go through there and and the same thing has happened. But you know we're looking yeah, hundred years some of later, that stuff. yeah, mm. that at, at, at those people. And so at the time they were basically doing a menu to their tupuna, but they have now become the tupuna. So it's um, in terms in terms of that model, it's, it's very kind of flax roots in a sense, but. Um, you know that that's what makes it so so powerful. I I got to say I love that. You know I love that site, that twenty eight uh, Maori. And it's site. just
1: recently won an award as well.
4: Uh yes, yes it has. Um, uh, and, and you know one of the great things about it was it, it sort of it, that's one of the sites that we we um sort of co manage with um, Te Um and it was really the category at one was for the um, for Crown Maori engagement. And it really is a, you know, a great example there of of the engagement with with the community.
1: But what we're looking at now is something that was launched a couple of days ago.
4: Yeah, this is um, Dictionary of New Zealand Biographies, um, which um, ha- have been published over a number of different volumes, both in English and, and in Maori. Um, and uh, last year, the the site was moved over onto Te Ara, um so it's still a separate section of its own um but these are basically our our official national bi- our official national biography and um all of the the maori um, biographies um have been translated into maori um and um
1: because prior to that they were in english
4: yeah well at the time they were written so at the time they were written they were they were written in in english although some some of them were written in maori and then translated into Māori, and there were there was around five volumes of the Māori ones, hardcover and uh, uh, paperback that that were translated. But I mean, that's quite a hefty time. So what we've done is we've taken it, and it, it's currently up on the website. But we've brought all of the Māori language biographies together as one single book, as an e-book, and. Um, and published it and So, so how many
1: pages are we talking here, Basil?
4: Um quite a few. And in a sense with the ebooks, it's it's in, in the thousands. Um with the ebooks, because of the navigation, the content navigation, um, the pages isn't such a big issue that you go to the effectively you either search for the name, um, or you go to the contents page and scroll through. It's all right. alphabetical. Um and then you can um click through um, and this uh, you know in terms of in terms of the names of of the translators um, people like tai, Tairungo Amo Amo, um, Joe Malcolm, Pautemara, um Rangi McGarvey, um, Bruce Biggs, um, Wharihuia Milroy. So
1: these are who's who of te Mardi. Yeah
4: and mm. and it shows you know when you read through um, the reo, you know it's but you know, it's it's really beautiful, Dale. Real, and the the platform in terms of e-books, it's a, it's a really increasing platform. It's quite it's quite new, um. But really, anyone with anyone that's going to get an you know a, a tablet or an iPad or a Kindle, um, then they can read these books, you know, on that platform. And it's becoming increasingly common. Um, you know, my interest in, in turning it into an e-book really came from the fact that I got myself a Kindle. And suddenly thought, gee, wouldn't it be great to have the DNZB stuff as a single book on the Kindle? And the, the thing is, what's five large books turns into you know one manageable file.
1: But I mean, Basil, five think. large books are part of the are part of that co yeah. You know, they look beautiful. you hold them.
4: Um, yeah, and and I think it's probably important to say that this this isn't an either or. Oh right. Because um, you know I, you know I've got um, you know purchased these books myself um, before, prior to working at the ministry, and you know have them have them on my bookshelf. But one of the really great things about it, in a sense, is that if I suddenly think, um, oh, I'd like to look at the biography for you know Te Maturohanga, um, or Hinari Kaiho, or, or you know something like that, then if I'm online. Okay, I can go on to Tiada and, and do a search for that. But you know, sometimes you're sitting on a train or sitting on a bus, or you're somewhere where you don't necessarily have um, internet access. Um, but you can do that there because it, you, you've effectively got the whole thing on mm-hmm. your on your device.
1: So what's the appeal for kids?
4: My my daughters have been using using the Kindle. How old um, are they? Uh, Fifteen and twelve, um, and in fact, even my nine-year-old son. Has started using it as well. I've also been b- b- borrowing my brother's tablet, so they love using that as well. <laughs> so it's it's quite natural. I mean, they they are you know for want of a better term, um, net natives. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't know if you've come across that term, but you know, it's, it's for the <laughs> no, I kids. No, it's, it's the generation that's come up, and they just take internet computers, um, portable digi- digital mm. devices as it's just it's what they're used to um so it's it's absolutely natural for them and um and that has been the case you know just from from my perspective seeing them use these devices um you know they're used to it and so this is one of the great things that for rangatahi it, um who are you know um who who have little devices uh, who have um, digital devices um it's a great way for them to get into real content and and this is great content um, which is being made available, and one, one of the things that you know we often hear from you know kai, kaiako is that you know they feel they haven't quite got the Maori language resources that they want. You have know, a certain standard, and um, you, you certainly can't you know criticise the um, the standard in, in here, and so really it's just making it available in a different way.
1: All right, so can we have a bit of a demo here? You've got your Kindle and your tablet here. Yeah. So what's the difference between these two platforms.
4: The Kindle is is actually probably slightly different from um, all the other um, platforms in a sense that the format it uses is proprietary, so it's it's basically the the, um, the Kindle format, and Kindle is sold by Amazon, um, and um, so you can download your books from uh, from there. You can you can get them from other places as well, but it's their format. Friday just gone, we launched. The ebooks in the different formats, uh, in the Kindle format and also in the EPUB format. So, basically, someone can download the um, the Kindle format from our site, um, and then they can just effectively transfer it over into the Kindle. It's quite an easy, quite an easy. So process. it's not like
1: um, PC and Mac.
4: Yeah. Um, well, it is a little bit like that in a sense, and the um, but but you can change format. So if you've got a if you've got something in a Kindle format you can change it into an EPUB or vice versa. There are converters. Um, but we've got both available. So the Kindle is a proprietary format but the EPUB, which is what you find on the tablets, um, that's the open format. So that's basically the the industry standard. So Kindle's slightly unusual um, and they may end up changing but but we're catering for both formats.
1: So can I make an analogy? Is this kind of like how you have vacuum cleaners? And they all have different bags for different models
4: uh yes,
1: and how sometimes that bag doesn't fit that model
4: yeah, well, except in this case they do your your one bag, you'd have one bag for the Kindle, and then one bag for all the other vacuum cleaners
1: Ka-pai. got it
4: <laughs> um and and in terms of the actual so aside from from the format um the other the other thing is how it looks when you read and um, on the tablets uh, and also the iPads, and you'll notice with this. So we're currently looking at the tablet and looking at Naitonga Tumatawero on the tablet, and this has a nice little page turner thing. So yeah, as you, nice you touch screen drag you your just... you yeah, drag your finger across, the page it's moves turning. just like a normal page mm-hmm. would move. Um, but it's also reasonably bright, so it's backlit, um, and
1: so this looks like a computer screen to me.
4: Yeah. And that's, okay. that's effectively what it is. So these tablets are effectively a, a computer screen. So you're reading, um, and, and some people find that, uh, okay, you can adjust the brightness so it's a little bit easier to, to read. And, you know, I've talked to people who say they're perfectly happy to read on tablets. Um, my preference is, is the Kindle because if we just now, bring the Kindle across here. If
1: I look at the Kindle, now it's it's the same entry that we're looking at, and... You know what that looks like? That looks like a printed card that's just been placed in something. It's kind of, it kind of looks like those things that you put in photo frames before you take them out and put in your photo. So it just kind of looks like a, an example. But that's it, isn't it?
4: Yeah, that is it. And and the reason it looks like that is because it's trying to copy paper. And the technology is e-ink technology, um, which you get on Kindle and also a number of other other devices, um, Kobo, Sunny Readers, um and the technology means that instead of looking like a computer screen in that light is coming through into your eyes mm. um all you see is you see the text um and you actually to be able to read it you can't read this in the dark uh, you know if you turn the lights off you wouldn't be able to read a Kindle or anything else on e ink technology you you'd need you need um lighting, but what that means is that when you're reading it your eyes don't get quite as um, right, strained quite a strain yeah. and it's effectively um, it's like reading a book so you'll find you know when you read a book you don't usually get eye strain whereas if you re- read a computer screen you can get eye strain so that's sort of the difference between the um, the technology and I think um, for just reading a lot of text, then um, that e ink um, format is really brilliant. But obviously um with the tablets um they're quite good if you have um images uh, particularly colored images
1: so ebooks don't have images eh?
4: um although e- you've
1: just said that that they do have images yeah
4: really? yeah ebooks can have right. can have images um the diff one of the main differences is that with tablets tablets uh, you know being screens they can have color on them, so you can have color images um with the um, the e-ink, um, like the the Kindle, the Kindle is not colour. Okay, so, so let's just... Sort of...
1: I'll just pull over the book here and make a comparison. Okay, so in the book, Bizzle, that I'm just looking at, which is a hard copy yeah. of the the e-book, um, I can see Whakapapa charts here yeah. uh, spaced out the way that you do Whakapapa charts. So would that automatically transfer into this format? The,
4: the two things we don't have in the e-book is we don't have the whakapapa and we don't have pictures so it's just the text um, and in a sense the um, the living document you know um, if if people want to keep checking so we will publish this as an e-book but the living document is the one on the website right? because that's what we do the updates and changes to so, so if anyone's in doubt and thinks oh I'd like to Go and check this, or I want to look at the the fucker um so there are a number of reasons why we decided not to do um to do the fucker papa, um and well, including technical issues um but um well actually probably probably technical issues stopped us worrying about what, other issues. issues that could come yeah, from yeah.
1: like permission
4: yeah yeah um so so Although in a sense this is really just it's the same stuff we already have on the website, just in a different channel, effectively a different way to access the same the same stuff.
1: That's aimed at that native generation.
4: Yeah, well, yep. Uh, the um, well, it's a funny term, but uh, but it's reasonably <laughs> it's been increasingly widely used. The the sort of the net natives, you know, the kids that are growing up in this digital generation, um, who um, will be quite happy to read. Um, read
1: this or to get their fix of what they need yeah, and then go back to what they need to do so it's just that thing about instant instant,
4: instant gratification yes. and
1: instant gratification well and this is the other <laughs> brilliant
4: thing about um uh, the e-books is that you can be um looking at this so I, I, i'm currently reading and then someone goes actually i want to read my other book they can just press home go down to um so I've got here um, the the old twenty eight mod battalion book um, that was written by J F Cody. And then they can click into that, and that will be at the page that you left it from. And so you've got all these different books on here. So it's actually great, you know, in the sense that I think you know kids in particular like flicking between different things. So you've got that option. Um, but um,
1: you know what though? I mean, isn't this just contributing more to that? Or oh, you're always on? You know, like you're on the bar you're you're talking about how you use this when you're sitting on the train it's like, Come on, maybe you should just sit there and look out the window, you know? Yeah. I mean you're always on.
4: Yeah well that's that's so true. Um <laughs> I you know, I have seen that, especially um you know, especially Rangatahi about, you know, being up up late at night and um not being able to get away from their devices. But um in a or sense sleeping
1: with their devices in their hands.
4: Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, and it's not just kids that do (laughs) that either. Um, but, but in a sense, we're kind of recognizing, we're recognizing an area where, um, this content will work, you know, and, and and will suit and, and, and basically giving the information, uh, making the information available for that market. So in a sense, it's not that we're necessarily encouraging, um, kids to be connected the whole time, but it's a recognition that, um, they and others, um, you know I think particularly and you know, i've I' found you know as, as a mighty speaker, this is you know really great stuff to read. um just I enjoy it just for the l, but the content itself and the people we're talking about is brilliant as well.
1: so with the team that were involved in this, did they i mean macrons that's no longer an issue, is it in terms of putting things up technically?
4: Yeah, well, it's, um, this is one of these really interesting things um, about ebooks is that because they followed you know, pretty good standards, um, what it means is that it's actually relatively easy to transfer um, content from, from the internet, from a web page, into an ebook. Because um, m- most formats are, are able to effectively um, just accept HTML. Um, except the web pages. Um, and 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 now most devices um in terms of their encoding can happily take macrons. So I mean that used to be a big big issue probably in the nineties through to the early two thousands. Um but but that is a problem is pretty much long gone.
1: Okay, so with the standard of te reo Māori that we're looking at here, looking is oh, okay, is the Ministry of Culture and Heritage therefore contributing to a higher standard of te reo Māori or a type of reo that was spoken maybe when our grandparents were alive and great-grandparents were speaking?
4: Um, I guess uh, in terms of... In terms of there's, there's probably a couple of things in that. There's, first of all, there's generational reo. Um, and also, there's um, there's kind of dialectal real in a sense. Um, and in terms of the generational real, what what we might perceive um, as you know traditional real, you know, has changed so much over over time. If uh, I've spent a lot of time going through the Maori language newspapers, and there is a kind of real that you will find in those Māori-language newspapers or in early manuscripts, you know, mid-1800s manuscripts, you'll find a kind of reo there. Um, And through um, uh, just recently with the 28 Māori Battalion site, uh, we've been looking through letters that were written in Māori. You know, that's another different generation of reo. And here, um, with this, the, uh, the project starting in the 1990s again, that is a different generation again. Of real, but the thing that they, the thread they all have in common, I think, is that it's all good real. You know, when you look at it, it's good, high quality real. So it's not really, but it does change. I mean, you know, looking at some of the um, sort of some of the kiwaha. What's interesting is that um, some of the kiwaha is definitely dialectal. You know, it's to to a different area uh, or a particular area. But but some of the other kind of you know kiwaha is actually it's generational we're we kind of heading in towards this trend where um the difference between people using a phone and using a tablet is becoming merged increasingly becoming merged that um that people will talk about or should i should I get a smartphone or should I get a um a tablet or something in between should I get something sort of uh, a seven inch tablet and I think that's going to uh, increasingly become the case that you're going to have a lot of people that for their phone it's actually going to be more like a um smallish tablet um and you know kids in particular like like their smartphones um like their ability to you know go on facebook and and twitter um and if that becomes the case and i think it will become the case then um it will be very easy for them to get applications to to read content on and if they're interested in, in todo then it will be relatively easy to access so so I'm talking about a trend really and but I think this is where where things are heading is that increasingly your your smartphone or your phone will be a, a la, slightly larger than a phone but be more like a small tablet
1: link up and download it hmm.
4: yeah well that's what makes the ebook you know ebook so good really is the portability. Um, that you get it once and and it's yours for good.
1: Oh, but sad to see these big big books going.
4: Yeah, I, I, going I've, to the book Utupa. Well, I <laughs> I don't think they will. In fact, I, I yeah. would say to people that you know if if you have, um, particularly the hardcover versions of Ngātanga te Tamatere, you know if you've got them on your bookshelf or in your home, hold on to them because. Um, I think not only are they not only do they look like a tanga, but I think as the years go by, increasingly, um, they will be a much sought-after um, collector's item.
1: Gosh, so ebooks books may end up making, um, creating a whole load of books that are going to be worth some money. Well, I,
4: I, I yeah. think so. Increasingly, as as you move platforms, then, then your old books um, uh, will become, you know, if if they're um, if they're desired by particular groups, then they'll become more and more valuable. So don't don't throw your books out just yet. These these e-books are available for download on uh, mch.govt.nz, um, and just click on our Maori Language Week section, um, and and you'll be able to find it there.
0: Kia ora, Keen. Uneder a, a hinetarura short ano mete fa this week's Fakatoki talks about what is the most important thing in our lives It is people 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 Ko te kai te, te reo Maori ko te manaki tanga the subject of this week's Māori Language Week is taking care of each other. manaki tangata. manaki tangata. So look after everybody. Next week, remember the days when a classmate would enter your classroom? This is primary school aged, with the note saying that you had to go to the murder house, aka the dental clinic. That was usually a little building tucked somewhere in the front of the school. Well, I relive that nightmare, though I'm
1: not at a school, I haven't been for years, and <laughs> not in a little building in front of a school, but a clinic at Ohinemutu in Rotorua. Ora, niho,
0: oranga. And remember, part two, What is Māori Journalism? with Maramina Roderick, John Stokes and Chris Winitana. He Kinga kaira wiki wiki, minga kai kōri wiki. Hōki mai anō no ma,
1: hei rā wiki. Mati te whanau a te ahikā ki katoa.